Welcome everyone. This is No Need to Argue with Kobe Wittick. Welcome to the show, everyone. This is No Need to Argue with Kobe Wittick. It is December 3rd. We are into December football and all sporting events alike. So, congratulations. We've made it through November. Christmas break and New Year's is on its way, and I am so excited for what's to come in college and NFL football in December. So, should be a good time. Uh, check me out on Twitter at no need to a. You can follow me there. Let me know what you think about the show, and uh, you know I post articles and videos and those kind of things uh, usually about every single week, along with my show, so you can kind of keep up on what I'm talking about and things that I'm going over throughout my episodes. So check it out there at no need to a on Twitter. Uh, I wanted to kind of start this episode. I know we have a lot to get to, a lot of football this weekend, college and NFL. So many things were happening, but you know, after Thursday, you know, we talked a lot about what was going to come up this weekend and how exciting everything was. And then Friday, a bombshell was dropped on the NFL and society as a whole, if you think about it. And I wanted to start this episode by talking about the Kareem Hunt video and the entire situation that took place in February with the assault and everything um, that happened there. The TMZ video came out on Friday. Kareem Hunt was immediately let go from practice. You know, they were going to kind of investigate. He wasn't playing in the game. And the next thing you know, Saturday morning, he was released from the team officially. And I want to start off by saying I posted this article on my Twitter account so you can go Uh, at no need to a and check this out but ian o'connor with espn wrote an amazing article on kareem hunt talked about you know the apology video and interview that he did with lisa salters and he kind of goes into all the detail about everything that's happened with kareem hunt this february incident there's a june incident where he was accused of punching a man no charges no investigations really took place and i think it is an absolute travesty of the NFL, considering all of the instances we have had in the NFL over the past 20, 30, 40, however many years you want to go back, Ray Rice obviously being the biggest one where you know everything was all good and he was playing and then the video surfaces again and is immediately suspended and then released and you know this whole thing breaks out about you know domestic abuse and assault and having more things in place with the NFL more rules and regulations and investigations that need to take place on circumstances that do come up and you know in Ian's article you know he really details everything so well and kind of gives you you know cold hard facts and interviews and he talks about how you know Kareem Hunt spoke with the Chiefs they spoke with the NFL you know they tried to get the tape and were unable to from the Cleveland Police Department. And you kind of look back at all this stuff and how Kareem Hunt comes out and apologizes and he's sorry that he lied and he's sorry that he did all this. And in the interview, you know, it, it seems so scripted on his apology and what he wants to say and how he feels about it. And he talks about being raised by his mother and his grandmother and he knows how to treat women and that he was raised right. And I have nothing to say in the instance of that, because I am not going to sit here and talk about how he was raised or his mother or his grandmother, because I don't know them personally. Uh, 
But considering the video that came out and how back in February, I mean, you're talking eight and a half months later, this video finally surfaces from TMZ. And you're telling me that the NFL or the Chiefs, I mean, anybody in those organizations and franchises and how big the NFL is and all the people that they employ and the power that they have on the world, they were not able to get any information from the woman who was assaulted, the video. I mean, there was no charges pressed, so I wonder why you know there was no charges if Cleveland police had the video. I mean, did you like were the Cleveland police corrupt in thinking that you know maybe they had Kareem Hunt on their fantasy team or they were big Chiefs fans? Like, it's really ridiculous that there was no charges. Cleveland police supposedly had the video. Who knows? I mean, you couldn't go directly to the hotel and get the video NFL. And it's such a shame that these things come out. And then as soon as the video surfaces, everyone is so reactionary to take action and make sure that things are in place so that they can keep their image in the eyes of the fans and the eyes of society positive. And you shouldn't have to wait for a video to surface on TMZ to take action on things like this that happen all the time. And I don't care if you're an NFL player, if you're a professional athlete in any other sport, or if you're just an everyday Joe citizen in America. But when things like this happen, you have to take the appropriate measures to investigate and get all the information possible instead of taking the word of an NFL player who is getting paid handsomely, who is on a very competitive team, who was on a team that everyone knew, everyone had a feeling was going to be very competitive this year if Mahomes just played decent because they've been competitive with Alex Smith just playing decent for how many years. And Mahomes takes them over the top. And Kareem Hunt has been a major, major factor in the success of the Kansas City Chiefs this year. And yet you just take the word of this young man saying that, You know, nothing happened, everything's good, there was no charges, whatever he said, and let bygones be bygones, okay, it is what it is. I mean, we reached out to the woman, we reached out to the Cleveland Police Department, we weren't able to get anywhere, so I guess we'll just take his word, and we'll let him play. We have to reach a point with professional athletes that they understand the circumstances. And they understand that sometimes if they're totally honest, their livelihood will be completely ruptured. And it is the NFL and the Kansas City Chiefs' responsibility to investigate to the absolute best that they possibly can without taking no for an answer and finding out the facts before you just take the word of a young NFL player and move on from the incident. And what drove me crazy, and I think what bothers me the most in watching Kareem Hunt's apology video, is that he talks about, I know right from wrong. I was raised right. My mom and my grandma were the only women in my life. They were the only parental figures that I had. And I know how to treat women. 
The problem that I have with him saying that and why it sounds so scripted is that if you knew right from wrong and you had morals and those morals were instilled in you as a kid from your mother and your grandmother, then why wouldn't you, when you're asked about it, be completely honest? Tell the Chiefs, tell the NFL, whoever, exactly what happened. And say it was poor judgment on my part. I was intoxicated. Whatever took place. And say this happened. I need help. And get out in front of it. It's the exact same thing that I talked about with Urban Meyer. When everything came out about his wide receivers coach. And you know beating his wife. And the texts and everything else. Get out in front of these things. If you get out in front of them. And try not to cover them up. Apologize. Be sincere. Look for help. Understand that if you do some of these things and you take actions right away, you may be able to save your career. You may be able to get some help, maybe get put you know, on leave or suspension or something like that and be able to save your career and let society, let the NFL know that you're taking actions to correct what happened, that you are making decisions that do not put yourself in those kind of situations where bad things could happen or ill decisions could be made. And Kareem Hunt may have been able to save some of this scrutiny and everything that is coming out about it. And I think the worst part about this entire situation is that Kareem Hunt is young. He's a very talented football player. And most likely, knowing the NFL the way they are, he will get a second chance in the NFL at some point. Now, I don't want that to happen. I don't think it should happen. I think in the NFL, when you talk about a three-strike rule or anything like that, in circumstances like this, you are putting yourself in jeopardy of more things to come down the road. And you look at, you know, it just brings me back to, you know, the whole situation we had with Colin Kaepernick and kneeling for the national anthem. And he's trying to use this big platform that he has to bring awareness to problems that we have in society. And there's always going to be problems in society. And it's always going to be up to each and every individual to decide how they want to act or how they want to use whatever platform they have to bring awareness and try to help those bad situations in society. And Colin Kaepernick made his decision. He lives with his decision. He stands by his decision. And I commend him for that. Do I agree with what he did? I do not. But I understand why he's doing it, why he's trying to bring awareness to certain situations in society. And the NFL has yet to sign Colin Kaepernick. He's been to a few workouts, but no one has signed him because of the patriotism of this country, of the NFL and its fans understanding that that could jeopardize any franchise that brings Colin Kaepernick on. And yet we look at people like Joe Mixon for the Bengals and how well he's playing in the NFL. And it was just a short while ago that there was a video of him punching a girl, knocking her out, and yet he was still drafted, and yet he's still in the league. And it's one of those where, oh, well, that happened in college and he was young and he was immature and he didn't know. And, you know, it was just a bad decision at that point in time in his life. So if you're going to cut Kareem Hunt 
for doing what he did, why is Joe Mixon still in the NFL? If you're going to you know, release Ray Rice and he never gets picked up again, being that he was an eld, you know, he was an older player. You know, he was kind of past his prime. But the NFL is one of those where talent will always rise above. And if you can contribute to a team and make a team more competitive and give them a better shot at winning games in the NFL, you will always have a place in the NFL. And that is where the NFL has let this go way, way too far with all these instances that we see over how many years. Because there's plenty of them to look at. There's lack of investigative work on the NFL, on these NFL teams. And there is a moral standard that is not being met when you talk about these players, their off-the-field actions, and how they can still be employed in the NFL if you're able to improve a team's chances at being competitive. And that is a problem with the NFL and most professional franchises right now in America. That greed, that ego, and everything else that goes with it is a major, major problem in professional sports. Okay. I wanted to get that out. I wanted to, you know, speak on the matter. I know that, you know, more information will be coming. We will definitely be hearing, you know, about Kareem Hunt, his situation, and everything moving forward if he does have a chance to still be employed in the NFL. Uh, like I said, you know, if you if you've seen the video, if you've, you know, read the articles, if you're you know aware of this situation and you know the NFL and their history. I would put my money that Kareem Hunt will be employed within the next two years by another NFL franchise, but we will find out. Let's get to the fun and awesome part of this last weekend in football because we had a lot of fun things happen, a lot of good things happened, and a lot of bad things that I want to talk about took place. So, there's the bell. Let's go ahead and get this thing started the weekly you gotta be kidding me okay so first one i have texas oklahoma i mean we got the red river rivalry in the big 12 championship big time game you know oklahoma's looking for you know their rematch and revenge against texas for taking them out earlier in the season oklahoma's only loss and, you know, Texas has kind of put themselves back on the map. And I think that they've done a good job. They definitely have some stud athletes on that team. And this was an awesome game. I thought it was a fun game to watch. There was a lot of good plays offensively and defensively. But the biggest problem that I have with the NFL and the NCAA right now is the referees and their flags being on the field constantly. For fouls that don't affect plays, for fouls that, I mean, you're talking about penalties that really are not penalties when you look at the play and understand football. And I think that that is a big thing that the NCAA, that the NFL really need to address when it comes to refereeing NFL games, when it comes to refereeing college games. You lose so many big-time plays and you lose 
viewership in the sense that people are tired of watching penalties happen every other play, every game. And the biggest example I have is that Jordan Humphrey, I mean, big, big time receiver for Texas. This dude is a stud. He is going to have a big NFL career, in my opinion, and I hope the Denver Broncos draft him just because. I know that we have deep receivers here and we have a good young core, but I will take this guy any day of the week. And he has a, I mean, he has a kick return. It's 39-27, two minutes to play in the game, and Humphrey takes the kick return back. And it's called back on a holding call where the guy is, I mean, locked in. And the Texas guy is blocking the Oklahoma guy. And he's like driving him backwards, locked in perfect, I mean, perfect blocking by the Texas blocker. I I don't know the number. I don't know the name. I didn't look it up. But just watching it, I mean, it was absolutely ridiculous. The holding call. Josh Thompson, sorry. Josh Thompson was the guy who got the holding call. And it was perfect technique. And the Oklahoma player just reaches his arm out as Humphrey is running by. And Josh Thompson drives him to the ground. And they call holding. Now you have to understand this, refs. Okay? If they're locked up and the guy is blocking him. And the defensive player reaches out or tries to jump towards the runner. It is not a holding penalty if the blocker is still engaged and blocking aggressively. You could call holding on every single play in the NFL. But the technique is get inside, lock them up, drive your feet. And you take the defender to the play, which is exactly what was happening when Humphrey returned that kick return that could have made a huge difference in that game, bringing it a lot closer with two minutes to go in the game. And it gets called back on one of the most ridiculous, ridiculous blocking calls I've seen this season. And what drives me crazy about the referees this year is that every single punt and kick return, there's a penalty. Every single one. Doesn't matter if it's near the play. Doesn't matter if it's on the other field across the street. They're calling a holding or a block in the back on every single play. There was an era in the NFL where the kick and punt return was the greatest moment of the game. It made the game just so exciting. And it changed the outcome of games because special teams was a part of it. And now we just have field goals and punts and trying to play the field position because there's no punt return and there's no kick return that is ever not going to have a penalty. And you're killing the football game. There's a third phase to football and it's special teams. And you have to understand that not every single little ticky-tack penalty needs to be called if it's outrageous and it truly affects the play then yes you call it but every little ticky tack thing does not need to be called i.e chargers and Steelers. another are you kidding me moment the chargers first touchdown was scored with i mean one of the worst false starts you could possibly have NFL referees called the tiniest little twitch of an offensive lineman a false start. 
and yet a tackle who jumps out of his stance almost a half a second before the ball is snapped doesn't get called. And the exact same play happened against Cleveland when the Chargers played Cleveland and scored a touchdown on that game, and the line judge was fired shortly after because of missed calls and things that had taken place. And yet the exact same thing happens last night against the Steelers and made a huge difference in that game when you consider what that game came down to. Put the flag up your butt, referees, and there's no need to argue about that. You gotta be kidding me! So the next one I have, Georgia, Alabama. I mean, what more can you say about these two teams and the two games we've been able to watch in, I mean, the same calendar year? I mean, you're talking about the national championship from last season played in 2018, and then we get to watch the SEC championship between the same two teams, and lo and behold, almost the exact same situation happens to give the edge to the Crimson Tide. And, you know, my man Timmy B, who I've talked about a lot, who I've had on this show, is one of the biggest Georgia fans that I know, and... I mean, watching this and just feeling his pain during the national championship when they were up 13-0 at half, Jalen Hurts was 3-for-8, 21 yards, nothing was going in the national championship for Alabama Crimson Tide, and lo and behold, what do you know, they bring in freshman Tua Tonga-Vailoa at halftime, and he goes off for three touchdowns, 166 yards in the second half, and brings them back to win the game in overtime. So, Tua becomes a starter this year. He is a Heisman Trophy finalist. He is absolutely killing it for the Crimson Tide. Battle injuries all season long, and in the SEC Championship, he really is getting beat up, and the lineman steps on his ankle. He sprains it bad. He has to come out of the game. And Jalen Hurts, with 11 minutes left in the game, comes in and goes 7 for 9, 82 yards with a touchdown. I mean, the Georgia Bulldogs are up by 7. It's 28-21 in the fourth quarter. And you're thinking, wow, Georgia finally is going to finish. They've taken control of Alabama two games in a row. And Jalen Hurts comes in and just controls the offense takes over and it was awesome to watch Jalen Hurts kind of get that moment that he wasn't able to get last year in the national championship game because you could tell Jalen Hurts came in there ready to play and I know that being benched and not starting this year I'm sure has taken a toll on him mentally but obviously from what we saw in the SEC championship game in that fourth quarter he has been preparing like the starter All year long, he has been ready to go. And when he finally got his moment, he took over and made the most of it. And I give it up to Jalen Hurts for doing that and being able to do that. And I think the coolest moment was Tua coming back out onto the sideline, watching Jalen Hurts operate that offense and cheering him on just like Jalen Hurts did last year in the national championship when Tua took over for Jalen. And it's unfair how deep Alabama is at every single position because Georgia had this game in the books. They were controlling offensively, defensively. They had it going. They were controlling Tua. 
more than any team has all year long, and they still find a way to lose. Now, obviously, you know, Georgia, they had the missed 30-yard field goal with eight minutes left in the third when they were up two touchdowns. That would have made a big difference, extending that lead to 14 points. And then, I mean, like I said, one minute left from on second and 10. They were up by seven at this point, and he slides two, two yards short of the first down. I mean, he has open field, and he slides two yards short. He sees the defense coming. They end up not being able to convert on the third and short. I mean, from like you got you got to know what you're playing for right here, man. You got to know that sometimes you got to dive and you got to take a little hit to get that first down and extend the drive. Don't rely on you converting a third and two, where they probably should have ran the ball with Swift the way he was playing that game. But hey, they drop back, they throw. Jake Fromm gets it tipped. It's incomplete. They have to punt it away, and the downfall. I mean, just continues. But from you got to step up in that moment, man. You're not a freshman anymore. You got to know second and ten, and you're running the ball. Get the first. Dive in there. Take a hit. And then the fake punt call. I mean, when I look at the fake punt, this is how I look at it. I don't think it was the absolute worst call in the world. Yeah, it was fourth and eleven. You know, you're right around midfield. Yeah, you should have punted. You should have tried to pin them deep. Even if it's a touchback, you make them go 80 yards instead of 47. But that is all on the upback and the communication between the coaches and that upback in the punt formation. Because if you call that fake, you got to let that upback know or remind that upback because he should know, hey, read the defense before we follow through with this. And the defense was set up like a regular base defense. They weren't in a bum rush situation to go block the punt. They weren't in you know any crazy punt formation. They were lined up in a base defense because they didn't care. If you want to punt this thing away, punt it away. We're going to fair catch. We're going to let it go out of bounds. We're going to get the ball back, and we're going to do what we can on offense. But we're sure not going to let you convert this and end the game. And the up back continues to run the fake punt. You got to read that defense, man. Bottom line, Georgia, when you play Alabama, keep the starting quarterback in the game. And there's no need to argue about that. All right, those are the only two I had for this week. I mean, obviously, major ones. There's definitely more that I could have talked about. But, you know, those were the two biggest ones that stuck out to me this weekend. Um, You know, moving on to the NFL Sunday games, you know, I mean, the Denver Broncos start early. They go out to the East Coast, and they finally get a win on a 1 p.m. Eastern starting game. And, you know, they they started out slow. And I think, you know, like I said last week, I wanted them to come out and just run the ball like crazy. And I think they did more of that, which was good. Offense struggled to start, and I, I was totally fine with that. If you're running the ball and establishing the run, the way that they can, I was totally fine with having a slow start. Obviously, they need to work on that slow start. And that also means Case Keenum needs to complete more than 12 of 21 passes. But Philip Lindsay, 19 carries, 157 yards, two touchdowns. This guy is unbelievable. And the Broncos better sign him to the biggest running back contract that you've ever seen in Denver. Because he deserves it. And should have been drafted. And you better take care of this guy. 
because he's one of your own, he's homegrown, and he is killing it for your football team. And without him, there's no possible way this team is 6-6 six and six this year. Defense is playing awesome the last three weeks, but without Phillip Lindsay, you are not 6-6. Six and six. Royce Freeman had 12 carries for 48 yards. He averaged four yards a carry. Looked good. You know, I mean, there were some times where, you know, you wish that he would have a little bit more, you know, quickness and a little bit more downhill action like Phillip does. But Royce Freeman's a good running back. He's coming back from the injury. He's getting himself back together. And those two are going to be a great one-two combo. Obviously, one being Phillip Lindsay, two being Royce Freeman. Case Keenum, I, I can't stop talking about how this guy frustrates me when he goes to pass the ball. 21 pass attempts for the game, absolutely love it. 151 yards, one touchdown, okay. I can live with that if we're winning games and we're productive in the running game as we have been over the past three winning games. And a lot of people out here in Denver on Sports Talk Radio are saying, well, you know, we need more from Case Keenum. We need more. We need more. You know, he can't only pass for 151 yards a game, blah, 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 blah. I don't care if Case Keenum passes for 151 yards, for 200 yards, for 100 yards, if he throws for 300 yards. If he's not turning the ball over, we're winning the games, then that is a recipe for success. What I do want to see from Case Keenum is be more efficient You can't throw the ball 21 times, only complete 12. You can't do it. If you throw the ball 21 times, you got to be completing 16, 17. That brings your yardage probably up to closer 190, 200. One touchdown, that is perfectly fine if he's being efficient. Because with this running game, the revamped offensive line, how well they're playing, Royce Freeman and Phillip Lindsay in that backfield, I want those two to take the bulk of every single play, and they got to keep winning. I mean, defense is playing awesome. This is a hot, hot team right now, and they're looking at the playoffs in a way that we have not over the past two years. And I think with the way the schedule plays out, they need to continue on. And I have come back on all, all things that I've said about Vance Joseph because if he has this team playing this way, obviously they believe in him. They want to win for him, and they want to win for themselves. And that's all I can ask from all those guys in that locker room as the Denver Broncos. I want them to play hard. I want them to play for each other. I want them to be competitive. And they have shown that over the past three weeks, winning three big-time games in the middle of the season down the stretch. So Vance Joseph, keep doing what you're doing. Keep this team on this hot streak. Keep them playing hard and for each other. Because that's all I want to see. And if you're able to finish 9-7, and seven, you're able to finish 10-6, and six, playoffs or not, obviously I would hope that 10-6 and six gets us in the playoffs. 9-7 and seven might fall a little short with the competitive AFC this year. But I am totally fine with you continuing to coach this team next year. Obviously, we need to look at quarterback. How can we improve there? Offensive coordinator, I still feel like there's a lot that we could do there, whether it's Musgrave or someone else, but we have to improve those two key points on our team because if we're able to improve those two, then I think this team could truly be competitive with another great draft and some key moves in the offseason. I mean, aside from the Broncos and a few other teams, this was a big upset weekend in the NFL, and it was crazy watching 
I went through all my picks and I was like, oh, this one's easy, this one's easy, this one's easy. And I pretty much should have picked the complete opposite this week. And it started on Thursday night. I mean, the Cowboys take down the Saints. I called that as my upset pick of the week, but that was like the only upset that I picked this week. Giants take down the Bears. Big upset there in overtime. The Cardinals take down the Packers in Lambeau. And then Packers coach gets fired mid-season after the season that they have had and the struggles they have had to win close games late. Jaguars upset the Colts. I mean, we all thought Andrew Luck was back. He was back to his old self, tearing it up, a million touchdowns, so efficient. I mean, he threw the ball 52 times for only 248 yards, had one interception and no touchdowns. That Jacksonville Jaguars defense responded big to the Blake Bortles benching, to everything that has happened to this team. And without Leonard Fournette, without Blake Bortles, Cody Kessler comes in there. He's 18 to 24, 150 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions. And that Jaguars defense just handled the Colts offense to pull the 6-0 upset on the Colts. Buccaneers upset the Panthers. Texas, you know, the the Houston Texans continue to, you know, just roll on their hot streak. Dolphins and Bills, you know, I don't think there was a favorite in that game. You know, the Ravens come in, beat the Falcons in Atlanta. Who knows what's going on with the Falcons right now? I mean, this year has been just absolutely crazy considering the talent they have on that roster. Lamar Jackson comes in, rushes the ball, passes the ball. He's 3 and 0 with his starts and you know I mean you got to think that he's going to continue to be the starter moving forward with them going 3 and 0 as him and the starter you know Chiefs and Rams take care of business as they're supposed to uh you know the Patriots take care of the Vikings and then the big game last night with the Chargers and Steelers but you know really really big a lot of upsets this week you know a lot of home teams that weren't favored took care of business at home which is, you know, something that you always kind of look for in the NFL and the home field advantage that everyone talks about being such a big deal. Uh, you know, but it was just it was a fun weekend, you know, watching football all day Saturday, all day Sunday. You know, I didn't get to watch kind of as much as I wanted on Sunday because uh, you know, we had a really, really fun little brunch for my brother's girlfriend on Sunday morning and you know family was over to watch the Bronco game and had some mimosas and Bloody Marys rolling and uh, you know we just had a lot of fun catching up with each other and talking and you know kind of watching the game in the background so you know it was one of those where I wasn't kind of sitting there alone as I usually am watching the game with my wife Uh, you know a lot of commotion going on in the house but you know I wouldn't trade that for anything so Big Monday night game tonight, Eagles, Redskins, divisional matchup. Eagles are on a roll trying to keep their playoff hopes alive. You know, the Redskins lose Alex Smith. They're in a very competitive division right now that the Cowboys jumped ahead of with their big win over the Saints. But, you know, these two teams know that tonight is a big, big game if they want to keep their playoff hopes alive and the Eagles at home Monday night divisional game, you got to think that they're going to come out and play really, really good because they need this win more than anything. They got that Super Bowl hangover, you know, that everyone's been talking about all year. Carson Wentz is coming back this year. Such a great quarterback, young, talented, but there just hasn't been, 
you know, the results like I think everyone expected from the Eagles tonight. So, you know, we'll see how that game goes. I'm excited to watch it. Uh, you know, I hope that for the sake of Carson Wentz, I'm a big fan of him. I hope that the Eagles win. But I got to say, we're in the playoffs of my fantasy league. My brother's up by 11 right now. And the guy that my brother's playing that is down 11 points in the fantasy matchup has Zach Ertz on his team. Last week, Zach Ertz had seven receptions, 91 yards, and a touchdown. That will get him the victory to beat my brother. So I'm hoping that Zach Ertz, for the sake of my brother moving on in the playoffs, does not have a good game. But I hope that Carson Wentz has a good game and the Philadelphia Eagles find a way to win, get to 500, and keep their playoff hopes alive. So we'll see what happens tonight. Tune in. It'll be a fun one. I will definitely be catching you guys on Thursday this week. Uh, you know, we got a, another big matchup. I mean, Jaguars and Titans, AFC, Thursday Night Football in Tennessee. The Jaguars are, you know, who knows? <laughs> but, you know, the defense played really, really well against Andrew Luck this past week. So we'll see what Marcus Mariota has up his sleeve against this Jaguars defense. Both these teams, you know, Titans are kind of still in that playoff hunt for the wild card so obviously that's going to be a huge matchup for them at home to get this win and Jaguars are just trying to save whatever pride they have left with this season so we will see what happens in that big Thursday night matchup of AFC divisional opponents so thank you guys so much for listening I do appreciate it I will check you guys out on Thursday definitely check out my Twitter at no need to a I got the article up there about cream hunt and a few other things coming and we will see you guys on Thursday. Take care. Thank you all so much for listening again. Until next time, I'm Kobe Wittick, and there's no need to argue about that.